Hey everyone, this is Io from Elite Spend Time Study, a podcast that focuses on apologetics, Bible studies, and current events from a biblical worldview. Thanks for listening to today's episode. So it's definitely been a while since I've recorded an episode last and uploaded one. I think the last episode I recorded was in July of this year, so it's been a few months. Um, the reason for that being is just that I've been focusing mainly on my blog, focusing on current events, writing current events articles, or doing Bible studies and doing uh, those on Instagram and different platforms. So I haven't dedicated as much time as I would have wanted on my podcast, but I think uh, going forward, I definitely want to be doing weekly episodes at least just to focus on current events, kind of tie in the uh, prophetic perspective of those current events for you guys. So I think just going forward, uh, maybe recording an episode on Fridays, uploading them Sunday or maybe Monday would be a really good thing to do. So with that said, let's get started. The first article is from Breitbart, just posted November 22nd. The headline reads, Freedom Pass, Please. Boris to introduce COVID passports as more lockdowns loom. The new normal that the British government sets outline will reportedly include freedom passes for those who have two negative coronavirus tests per week. The government is also working with passport manufacturers to create coronavirus certificates for those that can prove they're free of the virus, according to the Telegraph. The immunity certificate would be stored on people's phones after they receive a letter, card, or document from the government on testing negative for the virus. It is thought that the pass would permit Britons to see members of their families, which is largely banned at the moment, as well as being able to travel without a mask. So this is a very interesting piece of news because you would think that our freedom shouldn't be based on our coronavirus test results or if we get vaccinated or not. You would think that freedoms, our freedoms is an inalienable right that we have, but I guess not. I guess it's based on our coronavirus testing results. But this is really interesting because a lot of us have been seeing these uh, basically digital health passport system and this is basically what it is or immunity passport immunity certificate whatever you want to call it it's basically a system where if you get tested or if you get the vaccine which they're planning to use for the vaccine rollout maybe later in december or in january once the vaccines come out then you can participate in society but if you don't have these things if you don't have these requirements then you can't you know go to a restaurant you can't go to a stadium you can't go to a concert so already seeing these things or you can't fly internationally so already seeing these things happen so before I kind of get into what I believe or how I believe it ties into the perspective or uh, the prophetic perspective in terms of Bible prophecy, I want to just read through a couple more headlines just to kind of get an overall general sense of what we're seeing around the world, and then we can tie it into the Bible. So the next article here is from Breitbart, just came out on the 23rd of November. The headline reads, China wants passenger tracking system for global travel coronavirus reset. During the virtual G20 summit on Saturday, Xi called for a coronavirus global mechanism which involves international recognition of health certificates in the form of QR codes to allow people to travel freely, according to state media. Under the scheme China has employed since February, users are issued a traffic light style health code with a green code allowing someone to travel freely and an orange code or red code indicating that they need to quarantine for up to two weeks. In a tweet, the executive director of Human Rights Watch, Kenneth Ropp, expressed caution over Xi's proposal. He said, an initial focus on health could easily become a Trojan horse for broader political monitoring and exclusion. The second article I want to touch on that deals with this COVID passport system that's really coming to the forefront here is from Bloomberg, was uh, uploaded November 23rd. It says, COVID passport seen as key to resuming international travel. Global airline lobby IATA is working on a mobile app that will help travelers demonstrate their coronavirus-free status, joining a push to introduce so-called COVID passports to speed up the revival of international travel. The travel pass will display test results together with proof of inoculation, as well as listing national entry rules and details on an air slab, according to the International Air Transport Association. 
the app will also link to an electronic copy of the holder's passport to prove their identity. Qantas Airways Limited said a COVID-19 vaccination will be a necessity for its international passengers when approved and distributed. Chief Executive Officer Alan Joyce told Channel 9 in Australia he has discussed the idea with other airlines and it's likely to become a pre-boarding requirement around the world. He said it's going to be a common theme across the board. Though IATA's plan remains in development, the Common Pass app developed by the World Economic Forum and Nonprofit Commons Project Foundation has been tested on flights between London and New York. While the AOK Pass from Travel Security Firm International SOS is in use between Abu Dhabi and Pakistan. So again, I kind of want to get through these articles. I have one more that touches on this digital health passport system. But before I go to the next one, this article touched on common pass apps that they're currently using to kind of test this system. And it's interesting because I talked about common pass on different social media platforms. I've written an article about it, and I'll also include the article with this episode today in the description in the comment section. But what's interesting about common pass is that just as they said, it's been developed by World Economic Forum. And actually, if you dig a little deeper with this, it's also backed by the Rockefeller Foundation. And why these two organizations are important is because World Economic Forum is called for a great reset for 2021, which I'll get into later. And the Rockefeller Foundation is part of the ID2020 Alliance, whose goal is to get everyone on Earth a digital ID. So it's really interesting to be seeing those two organizations or uh, groups coming together in backing or developing the Common Pass app, which is being used now or being tested for travel and then getting people back to travel safely uh, via testing for the coronavirus. That's very interesting. So last article here is from Israel National News or Arutz Sheva. Came out November 26th. That line reads, we won't force vaccine, but here's what we will do. So this one is specifically, again, this one is uh, mainly geared towards Israel, Israeli citizens. But again, as we're reading, we're seeing things from the UK, we're seeing things from Australia, now Israel. So the purpose of sharing these articles is to kind of see the global mindset. We can see different uh, countries are, are talking about these things, are proposing them. China is also part of it. So it's just very interesting to uh, see this being rolled out during this time will be used for vaccination. So the article says, although Health Ministry Director Hezi Levy yesterday insisted to reporters that we won't force people to take a vaccine, Israeli law doesn't allow for it, speaking before the Special Knesset Coronavirus Committee, chaired by MK Yuvat Shaza Biton, Sheba Medical Center Chief Medical Officer and Chief Innovation Officer Dr. Eyal Zimlichan, listed measures that are being planned to maneuver the population into vaccinating as a way of regaining freedom of movement. The issue of how to motivate, quote-unquote, vaccine compliance has generated increasing interest, with commentators such as Mike Cernovich writing, government won't force you to take a vaccine. Amazon will. Airlines will. Banks will. And get this, he says, you won't be able to buy, sell, or trade without the vaccine. So, so those are the, that's the uh, remaining, that's the last article. But again, he said you won't be able to buy, sell, or trade out the vaccine. What does that sound like to you? That obviously refers, any any biblical, any Christian who knows anything about Bible prophecy would automatically think Revelation uh, 13, 16, and 17 with the Mark of the Beast system. And I'm just going to read that quick and then just kind of explain these articles in a, in, a, in a generic way, just to kind of group them together and explain what I think is happening here, where I think this is headed. So Revelation 13, 16, and 17 reads, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, 
and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name. So basically the Bible tells us there's coming a system. Again, during the tribulation, the church is out of here before then. So this mark of the beast system isn't here. I'm not saying that digital health passports is the mark of the beast or it's the mark of the beast system. That's not the case. But what we're seeing in the Bible is that in the future, in the tribulation, there's coming a system that will basically require you to have this mark of the beast on you. And, and it also goes with worshiping the beast, the, the Antichrist. It requires you to have this mark of the beast on your right hand or forehead. And with that mark, you can buy or sell. Meaning without it, you can't buy or sell. What we're seeing in today's society is that you need a mask to enter a store. You need a mask to enter a restaurant. If you don't have this mask in, you can't buy or sell. If you don't have this mask, you can't enter a stadium. Well, once the vaccine comes out with the digital health passports they're proposing, that's going to tie into the system. So it's going to go from you need a mask to you need to be tested or you need a vaccine. So it's going to easily go to, okay, use this app. Do you, have you been tested? Do you have your vaccine? You don't have it? Okay, you can't buy yourself. And that's exactly what this uh, Israeli guy is saying that, hey, the government won't need to force you to be vaccinated. You won't have to mandate it. So he's basically saying other services will encourage you. Amazon will encourage you to do it. Airlines will encourage you. Banks will encourage you to do it. So he's basically saying that once this system rolls out, it's going to be applied to every area of life, wherever you go to grocery stores, restaurants, stadiums, you know, Amazon, airlines, whatever. And through you utilizing these services, you'll eventually come to find that you need a vaccine. You need a testing record and that will provide roadblocks for you. And then through your frustration, it's going to make you get the vaccine yourself. So that's what we're seeing in society. To me, it seems like a conditioning for society as a whole. And um, I believe that this digital health certificate or digital health passport system, in a way, is kind of setting the stage for this Mark the Beast system, or it's part of what may be setting the stage for what will become the Mark the Beast system in the future. Again, I'm not saying this is, but again, as we're seeing these things develop, uh, we can see that the tribulation is casting a shadow in our time today. And this seems to be one of those shadows that's being cast in our time. So earlier in this episode, I mentioned the Great Reset, and some of you guys may know what that is, some of you guys might not. Uh, basically, the Great Reset is from the World Economic Forum. They state, to achieve a better outcome, the world must act jointly and swiftly to revamp all aspects of our societies and economies, from education to social contracts, contracts and working conditions. Every country from the United States to China must participate in every industry, from oil to gas and tech, must be transformed. In short, we need a Great Reset of Capitalism. So the Great Reset is basically spearheaded by the World Economic Forum, uh, the person in charge of this whole thing is Klaus Schwab. He's the founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum. And why this Great Reset is a thing is because they're using the pandemic and saying that, hey, because of this pandemic, the world needs a reset. We need to come together jointly to create a more equitable world, to bring in these positive changes. And they, they say all these good things, but if you look into it, it sounds like globalism. It sounds like communism. Uh, they're also bringing in something called fourth industrial revolution as part of it. And uh, Klaus Schwab, the way he talks about things, he brings in like a transhumanist view. So he's basically saying that, hey, technology and biology kind of merge together and it'll challenge what we believe to be human, things like that. So I'm bringing this great reset to you is because on November 26, Klaus Schwab, again, the founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum, came out with a tweet stating that they're preparing for something called the Davos Agenda Week. So it's going to be a week in January from the 25th to the 29th, just five days where these global leaders will get together and talk about things like enhancing stewardship of our global commons, things like that, that pertains to the Great Reset. So on their website, they said the Davos Agenda is a pioneering mobilization of global leaders to shape the principles, policies, 
and partnerships needed in this challenging new context. It is essential for leaders from all walks of life to work together virtually for more inclusive, cohesive, and sustainable future as soon as possible in 2021. The website goes on to say the Davos agenda will also mark the launch of the World Economic Forum's Great Reset Initiative and begin the preparation of the special annual meeting in the spring. Each day will focus on one of the five domains of the Great Reset Initiative. And these are the days they list out, Monday 25th, January. Special addresses, leadership panels, and impact sessions on designing cohesive, sustainable, and resilient economic systems. The 26th focuses on driving responsibility, industry transformation and growth. The 27th focuses on enhancing stewardship of our global commons. The 28th focuses on harnessing the technology of the fourth industrial revolution, which I mentioned earlier. And the last day, the 29th, focuses on advancing global and regional co cooperation. So the reason I just want to bring this up is so that we just know what they're planning and what to expect uh, going into 2021. So I'm sure once this begins, we'll know way more about the Great Reset and the Davos agenda and how it fits into Bible prophecy. The next thing that I want to present is on digital currency. So there's been, due to this coronavirus, there's been a kind of a push to go away from hard cash and coins and go to digital payments. I know China's already testing their digital yuan, so things like that. So an article from CNBC from November 27th, it says Facebook long-awaited Libra currency to reportedly launch a limited form early next year. The article goes to say Libra, a new cryptocurrency being created by Facebook and others, could launch as soon as January for a limited format, according to a report from the Financial Times which cited sources familiar with the matter. So why should we care about this? There was an article that came out from Reuters in October 20 or October 2nd this year that talked about ECB. European Central Bank must prepare to issue a digital euro. So that one was interesting because they basically cited the Facebook's proposed Libra as a competitive um, driving force that could cause other central banks around the world to go after their own digital currency systems. So the article says the European Central Bank should prepare to issue a digital euro to complement banknotes if and when it becomes necessary, ECB board member Fabio Panetta said on Friday. Major central banks around the world are studying digital versions of their currencies to address demand for electronic means of payment and fend off competition from private tokens such as Bitcoin and Facebook's proposed Libra. Facebook announcement last year that it would offer its own token, backed by official currencies, made central banks worry they would lose control over money and triggered a number of competing initiatives. So again, why is this important? Because we see that Facebook, early next year, they're going to launch their Libra. We see that that is triggering other central banks around the world to be worried and kind of drive towards their own digital currency system. And why this is important is because when you look at the Bible, again, Revelation 13, 16 to 17, we're going to be probably going back to that more times during this episode, is because when we see this mark of the beast system, it looks like to a lot of believers that there must be a digital currency system or cash society put in place to allow for this system to flourish. Because right now, if we have cash, we can't track it. If I go to a local store, buy groceries with cash, no one knows what I bought, no one knows when I bought it. But if we go to a completely cashless society, then that means that my purchases are tracked. They know who bought what, they know uh, what quantity, what price I bought it at, when I bought it, so I can be tracked. And if we're talking about a universal digital ID type system where my health is hooked up into that digital ID, where my finances are hooked into that digital ID. We're just talking about digital, ID, digital health passports. So let's say the vaccine comes out. Let's say, just throw out a scenario. Let's say we're in a completely cashless society. The vaccine comes out with our universal digital ID. They couple that together with the digital uh, health certificates. 
And then they say that if you don't get the vaccine, not only can you not buy or sell, but also freeze your account. You won't get paid and you can't use your money to buy anything. So that essentially is the mark of the beast system we're reading about. Of course, a complete cashless society, that might be something way off in the future. There's still a lot of detractors from that. There's still a lot of people saying that, hey, what about those that are unbanked, aka people that don't have a bank accounts? What about the poor? What about the homeless? So I don't see a cash society coming out now anytime soon, but society is definitely making its way towards a cashless system. And that's something we should be keeping in mind. Last but not least, the Middle East. So an article from the Times of Israel from the 23rd November reads, TV report Netanyahu Pompeo hoped for normalization, but Saudi said no. So I'm sure if you guys have been paying to anything going on in the Middle East this year, or Israel specifically, and its allies, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, um, I think Sudan even, Bahrain, there's been a lot of uh, normalization things going on, normalization talks, Bahrain, uh, Qatar, and Bahrain, um, or sorry, um, UAE, UAE was also part of it, Qatar not part of it, but it was Bahrain, UAE, and the Sudan decided to normalize ties with Israel. And that's very important, prophetically speaking, because we can start seeing uh, Daniel 9.27 comes this picture of a covenant being made, or confirmed rather, by the Antichrist for weeks. So these deals may very well be setting the stage for that covenant um, to take place, that there must be something in place first for the Antichrist to then come into picture and confirm. And then obviously Ezekiel 30 as well, what these normalization and peace deals are doing with uh, Israel's uh, surrounding nations around them is that they're creating a more peaceful and prosperous Middle East. There's many articles that went into that, which is very interesting because Ezekiel 38 talks about nations such as Iran, Turkey, Sudan, Russia, and others, Libya, coming against Israel to invade for a spoil. They come against a peace, uh, Israel dwelling in peace and security, basically in, in peace, in peaceful times, unwalled villages, and they're prosperous because they have to be prosperous, right? For the nations to want to create a uh, go against Israel for a spoil, there must be something to take. So they have to be prosperous. So it's very interesting. So basically, these normalization deals are setting up the stage for Ezekiel 38. And what's real interesting is that a lot of us have been keeping our eyes on Saudi Arabia because when those nations go against Israel, there's a couple of nations that protest, and Sheba Dedan are one of those nations. And Sheba Dedan is just modern day Saudi Arabia. So it's interesting because many decades ago, Saudi Arabia and Israel were enemies, or actually Saudi Arabia looked at Israel as an enemy, but now they're on friendly ties. So we've been just been eyeing Saudi Arabia to see if they're going to normalize, but unfortunately it doesn't look like that'll be the case anytime soon. So that's what this article is going into. So again, the headline of this article is TV report, Netanyahu Pompeo hoped for normalization, but Saudi said no. The article says, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo had hoped for a breakthrough in normalization talks with Saudi Arabia during Netanyahu's face-to-face -face meeting Sunday with Riyadh's Crown Prince, Mohammed bin Salman. But their hopes were frustrated, Israel's Channel 12 News reported Monday. Riyadh's Crown Prince and Netanyahu held unprecedented talks late Sunday in the Saudi Red Sea city of Neom, along with Pompeo, reportedly including discussions on Iran and normalization. Despite the efforts by Netanyahu and Pompeo to convince them, the Saudis made clear that, at the moment, they're not ready to take the extra step. That's why no additional normalization ceremony can be expected in the near future, an official told Channel 12. So again, with everything I just mentioned, with that in mind, this is kind of a bummer for some of us, I guess you could say. Uh, definitely, I'm sure a bummer for Netanyahu Pompeo that they're saying no because they would have hoped for normalization soon, especially they would especially want that to happen before a Biden administration comes in and maybe Biden flipping everything on its head. 
Um, hopefully not, but we'll see what happens there. Uh, so that's how things are right now. Um, maybe Saudi Arabia in the near future may change their minds, but for now they're saying they're not ready yet. Another article from Axios. The headline reads, Scoop, Israeli military prepares for possibility Trump will strike Iran. And this came out November 25th. The Israel Defense Forces have in recent weeks been instructed to prepare for the possibility that the U.S. will conduct a military strike against Iran before President Trump leaves office, senior Israeli officials tell me. The Israel government instructed the IDF to undertake the preparations not because of any intelligence or assessment that Trump will order such a strike, but because senior Israeli officials anticipate, quote, a very sensitive period, unquote, ahead of Biden's inauguration on January 20th. Last week, the New York Times reported that Trump raised the possibility of attacking Iran's uranium enrichment facility in Natanz in a meeting with senior members of his national security team. Trump raised the idea after being briefed on an International Atomic Energy Agency report about Iran's growing stockpiles of enriched uranium, but top officials, including Vice President Mike Pence and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, warned about the risks of regional escalation, per the Times. So that International Atomic Energy Agency report that's being referenced in this article stated actually that Iran is just a few months away. They said that they could have a nuclear weapon due to their uranium enrichments. They could have a nuclear weapon ready by late December, early January and a second one ready by maybe March or so within the next five months for a second weapon. So that's very startling. So based on that report, Trump and the other members of his team, such as Mike Pence, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, gathered together to basically discuss potential a potential strike against Iran to make sure that they don't get a nuclear weapon. But obviously, um, he was dissuaded from doing that because it could spark essentially World War III um, or at least a war with Iran because we know what happened with Soleimani earlier in January. Uh, that sparked a lot of fears of World War III. So imagine what a strike on Iran's uh, nuclear facility would do. Either way, whether Trump does eventually decide to strike one of uh, Iran's nuclear sites or not, we know that any move, whether they do or don't, would still cause something to happen. So if they do, it causes escalation in the Middle East. If they don't, Iran will get their weapon, uh, their nuclear weapon, and it'll cause escalation in the Middle East. So, and, and Israel has already vowed, made it certain to Iran that they will stop them from ever getting nuclear weapons. So that's a, a very big deal. I think an article came out last week from Saudi Arabia saying that if Iran gets nuclear weapons, they want nuclear weapons too, or they'll work towards nuclear weapons as well. So it'll just add to a destabilization of the Middle East, possibly setting up the stage for prophecies to be fulfilled. We know Isaiah 17.1, destruction of Damascus, Ezekiel 38 for sure. So just something to keep our eyes on. And as we actually talk about uh, Iran and their nuclear potential here, there actually came out an article November 27th from the Times of Israel with the headline, Top Iranian Officials Blame Israel for Nuclear Masterminds Killing, Vowing Revenge. So the article says, Top Iranian officials on Friday pointed to Israel as the likely culprit in the assassination of top nuclear scientist Mohsen Fakhrizadeh with some vowing revenge for the death of the man Jerusalem is pointed to as the head of the country's nuclear weapons program. Hossein Dagan, an advisor to Iran's Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei and a presidential candidate in Iran's 2021 election, issued a warrant on Twitter saying, In the last days of their gambling allies' political life, the Zionists seek to intensify and increase pressure on Iran to wage a full-blown war, Dagan wrote, appearing to refer to U.S. President Donald Trump. We will descend like lightning on the killers of this oppressed martyr and we will make them regret their actions. So literally, past article, or the previous article I just talked about from Axios, talked about Iran's nuclear potential. And now on Friday, November 27th, today as I'm recording this episode, we have news that I guess Israel maybe, or we don't really know who did it, Israel's keeping silent, but Iran's blaming Israel that they assassinated top nuclear scientist Mohsen Fakhrizadeh, which kind of sets them back or could set them back. 
they vowed retaliation. They vowed, they vowed this won't stop them. But we won't know what, what Iran will do from this assassination. I know for the killing of Soleimani that happened in January, they vowed retaliation. They vowed lots of things. There was, you know, talks of World War III. Nothing happened. I think they did a cyber attack on one of um, the U.S. government's websites or something like that. But nothing quote-unquote nothing happened um they may do something in the future in retaliation i know that in i think january february that time period after Soleimani's assassination um they in iran or i think it was iraq they struck a u.s base or something and many people were injured some people actually had head injuries so they did that and then they kind of backed off from that so lots of people were saying that okay maybe that's a retaliation if that is good Essentially, what I'm trying to get at here is that what this could be is just more threats and nothing, don't do anything, at least immediately in the near future. We don't know, but this could definitely set things off more in the Middle East. So with that last article, that is a wrap for what I had to talk about today. Definitely a lot more I could have touched on, but I just wanted to keep this hopefully less than half an hour. Um, I would usually like to keep this maybe 15 minutes just to kind of give short updates on current events and tie it to its prophetic significance. And before I forget, I also wanted to mention that if you wanted to read these articles for yourself, I included a link to each article I mentioned in this episode in the show notes. So make sure to go to the show notes or in the description of the podcast. I'll link to every article and articles that I've personally written and done on any of these topics I'll include there as well. And you can check out more of what, how it ties into Bible prophecy, how we should be uh, viewing these events and being excited because it shows us that we're definitely in the season of the Lord's return. Um, and also be sure to follow me on social media pages as well. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Pinterest. I'm also on Parlor. Joined Parlor recently. So with all that being said, thanks again for listening to this episode and I'll catch you guys next week. God bless.